And now, here they are, the Beatles! Hi, I'm Justin Shears, and welcome to Only a Northern Song. In this series, I'll be exploring the words and the music of the Beatles, but not through the usual tracks that we all know so well. I'll be delving into my extensive collection of outtakes, home recordings and demos, alternate mixes and interviews, to shed some new light on lesser-known aspects of the Beatles' recorded legacy. You tell lighting and I can't see You can't cry cause you're laughing at me I'm down, I'm really down I'm down, down on the ground I'm down, I'm really down How can you laugh when you know I'm down? The Beatles returned from their record-breaking August 1965 US tour marked the beginning of the band's next project, Studio Album Number no. 6, which would be their second for 1965. Touching down in London on the 2nd of September meant that the Beatles would need a quick turnaround to write and record their follow-up to help if it was to be ready for the Christmas market. As well as an album, a single was also needed to carry the band through to 1966. But before the Beatles could head into the studio to begin work on what would become Rubber Soul, there was some happy news to be shared with the world. Who does it look like, Ringo? You're your a one. A bit of each, actually. You know, he hasn't got a Ringo nose, has he? Oh, yes. God help him. But, you know, they say they change. <laughs> has he made any uh, musical noises yet? He's shouted out a bit, you know, so I get them pressmen out of here and all that, you know. He has told her this morning she has no hair. Well, he had it last night, I mean, I've been, <laughs> been away. Have you decided what to call him yet, Rick? Zach. Z-A-K. Yes, why, why is Zach? Because we like the name, you know. It's a cowboy name. Why is any name? Uh, not really, it's more sort of Western. There can be no doubt that the Beatles had changed during 1965, both personally and musically. Their use of marijuana, which they had first tried when visiting the US the previous year, was now becoming used more regularly by all members of the band. John would later describe this as their self-conscious period, and increasingly it was reflected in the songs they were writing. New songs utilised new beliefs, new subjects, new instruments and effects, even a new language. And it would also see the Beatles begin the tentative steps towards taking more control in the studio. Perhaps most importantly, Rubber Soul would pave the way for even greater musical experimentation and technical innovation on subsequent albums such as Revolver and Sgt. Pepper. It was undoubtedly the bridge between the old Beatles and the new Beatles. They showed no signs of flagging as far as their musical creativity was concerned. On the contrary, they were becoming more and more uh, productive and the work they were giving me was much more interesting. They were... Um, finding new frontiers all the time. Our whole attitude was changing. Um, we'd grown up a little. Uh, I think grass was really influential in a lot of our changes. Um, especially with, with the writers, you know, so because they were writing different stuff, uh, we were playing differently. We were all, you know, expanding in, in all areas of our life, you know, opening up to a lot of different uh, attitudes. You know, the direction was just changing away from the sort of thank you girl of the poppy stuff, you know, the early stuff, from me to you, she loves you, 
It was all really, the early stuff was directly relating to your fans, kind of really, saying, please buy this record. You know, thank you, girl. P.S. I love you. It was all very that. Um, and I think, you know, it came a point where we thought, well, we've done enough of that. We can branch out a little bit into songs that are a little bit more surreal, a little bit more entertaining. And uh, other people were starting to arrive on the scene that were a little bit influential. And I don't know really whether we've been influenced. I think Dylan was, was starting to influence us quite heavily at that point. When it got sort of uh, contemporary, as it were, even if it was contemporary influence, I think uh, Robber Soul was about when it started happening. In the next two episodes, we'll return to Studio Two to sit in with the Beatles as they record Rubber Soul, sessions which have seen many outtakes surface over the last few decades. Where outtakes aren't available, I will include my own isolation mixes, which strip back the master recordings to highlight particular elements of each song. The first track recorded for the new album had its origins in another song by another artist. Elvis Presley's 1955 single, Baby Let's Play House, was hugely influential on a teenage John Lennon and featured in early sets by the Quarrymen. In what would be termed today as smart borrowing, John quietly lifted a couple of lines from the last verse of Presley's number to open the first verse of his new song. The pressures of writing and recording at this time meant that the Beatles were not always happy with the standard of their songwriting, and Run For Your Life is an example of this. John explains. Run For Your Life I always hated, you know. I don't know, because it was one of them I knocked off just to write a song, you know, and it was phony. Come back, baby, I want to play house with you. You know, as soon as the backing came in, the rhythm went all soft, you know. And when George is but I mean, you can, you can look after it now because my voice isn't with it. You know, make it heavy. Because by the time we put something else on, there'll be no Jumbo Gibson at all. You tell him here, guys, Paul. Okay, boys. Okay, Johnny. Right. Bye.
take five of John's Run For Your Life, recorded on the 12th of October 1965. The basic track of John's acoustic guitar, George's electric guitar and Ringo's drums, with tambourines supplied presumably by Paul, filled the first track of the four-track tape, leaving room for Paul's bass to be overdubbed, as well as lead and backing vocals and more guitars. The first song recorded for the new album was destined to be the last track on the LP. The same session saw the beginning of another Lennon number, which would become a classic in the Beatles' canon. The subject matter has often been debated, a one-night stand or an affair on John's behalf, but with whom? A long list of names has been added to over the years, including Sonny Freeman, the wife of Beatles photographer Robert Freeman, who took the photo for the Rubber Soul album cover, amongst others. The Freemans lived in a wood-panelled flat beneath John and Cynthia's in South Kensington, adding weight to the speculation. Regardless of the inspiration for the lyrics, it was a dramatic change in the musical direction which featured in this song from its very first take. It was just around that period when we were all getting into various different kinds of music and George's uh, became Indian. Um, I think all of us were listening to sort of classical and various types of music other than our own and our rock and roll kind of roots. Um, and George just sort of moved into the Indian thing. I think he'd give you a better explanation of just sort of when it was. Well, actually, during the filming of Help, there was some Indian musicians in a restaurant scene, and I kind of messed around with the sitar then. But during that year, towards the end of that year anyway, I kept hearing the name of Ravi Shankar. I heard it about three times. And about the third time I heard it, it was some friend of mine um, who said, oh, have you heard this person, Ravi Shankar? So I went out and bought a record and um, that was it. I just, it felt like I, you know, it felt very familiar to me to listen to that music. And so it was around that time I bought a sitar. I just bought like a cheap sitar in a shop called India Craft in London. And uh, it was lying around. I hadn't really figured out what to do with it. And when we were working on Norwegian wood, it just needed something, you know? It just needed something. and. It was quite spontaneous from what I remember. I just picked the sitar up and kind of found the notes and I just kind of played it. We just we mic'd it up and we, we put it on and it just like seemed to hit the spot. I once had a girl, or should I say, she once had me. She showed me her room, isn't it good, Norwegian wood. She asked me to stay and she told me to sit anywhere So I looked around and I noticed there wasn't a chair I sat on a rug, drinking her wine, biding my time We talked until two and then she said it's time for bed. 
Suddenly she worked in the morning and started to laugh I told her I didn't and crawled off to sleep in the bath And when I awoke I was alone This bird had flown So I lit a fire Isn't it good Norwegian wood Take one of Norwegian wood tentatively titled This Bird Has Flown, complete with sitar played by George Harrison, an instrument from the culture which would influence his musical and spiritual direction for the rest of his life. While overdubs were applied to this single take, it was to be improved upon in just over a week's time. The following day saw what would become the album's opening track committed to tape, perfected in just four takes. Overdubs of vocals, guitar, piano and percussion would be added in the same session. Asked the girl what she wanted to be She said, baby, can't you see I want to be famous, a star on the screen But you can do something in between Baby, you can drive my car Yes, I'm gonna be a star Baby, you can drive my car And maybe I love you I told that girl that my prospects were good And she said, baby, it's understood Working for peanuts is all very fine But I can show you a better time Baby, you can drive my car Yes, I'm gonna be a star Maybe you can drive my car And maybe I love you Beep, 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 yeah! I'm gonna be a star Baby, you can drive my car And maybe I love you I told that girl I could start right away When she said, listen, babe, I got something to say I got no car and it's breaking my heart But I found a driver and that's a start Maybe you can drive my car Yes, I'm gonna be a star Maybe you can drive my car And maybe I love you Beep, 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 yeah 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 An isolation mix of Drive My Car whose catchy guitar riff intro was considered the best way to launch the new LP. Similarly, another driving guitar riff, this time written by John, would feature heavily in the next Beatle recording, destined not for inclusion on the album, 
but as a standalone single release. I remember the single coming out the day tripper we can work it out. Yeah, that was a drug song because it was a day tripper. You know, day tripper wasn't a serious message song. I just liked the word. Day tripper, take one.
It only took three takes to capture Day Tripper on the 16th of October 1965 as the Beatles moved towards recording backing tracks without vocals. The relative luxury of working with four-track tape meant that they could now devote more time and energy to perfecting their vocals easily, rather than having to get them right in each take. Take three was considered best, and therefore treated to the necessary overdubs to create a classic. Not bad for an afternoon's work. The lyrical content of this song was subtly suggestive, as the term She's a Big Teaser sounded suspiciously like something else. The evening of the 16th saw the Beatles start work on George's first contribution to the new album, and a feature of the Beatles' future 1966 live set, bringing his distinctive Rickenbacker 12-string guitar to the fore. One, two, three, four... But you see now I'm too much in love Carve your number on my 
an isolation mix of If I Needed Someone, completed on the 18th of October with the addition of vocals and tambourine. George sent an advanced pressing of the album to former press officer Derek Taylor, who was by this time living in Los Angeles and was representing The Birds. George asked Taylor to give the album to The Birds guitarist Roger McGuinn, with a message acknowledging that the song had been inspired by two Birds tracks from their first album. In closing A Beautiful Circle, it was George's use of a 12-string Rickenbacker in A Hard Day's Night which had inspired McGuinn to purchase his first Rickenbacker. Clearly, what goes around, comes around. Here I stand, head in hand, turn my face to the wall. If she's gone, I can't go on, feeling two foot small. Everywhere people stare, each and every day. I can see them laugh at me And I hear them sing Hey, you've got to hide your love away The 18th of October also saw work begin on one of John's favourite Beatles songs, one which had started out as a poem about his early days in Liverpool. In March 1964, after interviewing John about his first book of poetry, In His Own Right, English journalist Kenneth Allsop encouraged Lennon to write more about himself. John had become more introspective in his writing, with tracks such as I'm a Loser and You've Got to Hide Your Love Away, both of which owed something to Bob Dylan's influence. As John sat down to write about what he remembered and valued most about his home city, what came out was a nostalgic poem which flowed like the number five bus journey from his home in Menlove Avenue into town, listing all the places such as Church Road, the tram sheds, the Dockers Umbrella, and, intriguingly, Penny Lane. But John wasn't happy with how the lyrics turned out, and he changed it more to a reminiscence of the people in his life, as opposed to just the places. John later said that two of the friends he had in mind were fellow quarryman Pete Shotton and the late Stu Sutcliffe, the revised lyrics provided the canvas for a truly remarkable song and recording. Here's an isolation mix of the track as it would have sounded at the end of this session. Listen out for the alternative organ solo played by George Martin. This is so heavy too, these, these fenders are so heavy. Oh, I know, but we're getting it's the back I. We're still trying to do the voice as well. Stop holding my hand. Don't forget to walk. There are places I remember all my life Though some have changed, some forever Not for better, some have gone And some remain All these places had their moments With lovers and friends I still can recall some are dead and some are living In my life I've loved them all But of all these friends and lovers There is no one compares with you 
And these memories lose their meaning When I think of love as something new Though I know I'll never lose affection For people and things that went before I know I'll often stop and think about them In my life I love you more Take three of In My Life, what most would deem to be a strong recording. But the Beatles weren't satisfied with the solo as it stood. Like in, in my life, there's a, a Elizabethan piano solo in it. So he did, would do things like that. He'd say, play like Bach or something. Could you put 12 bars in there? On the 22nd, a new piano solo, similar to the first, was recorded by George Martin using the same technique from A Hard Day's Night of slowing the tape to half speed to allow for more intricate playing, which then sounds faster and an octave higher when played back at full speed. Here's how it sounded at half speed, played an octave lower on the piano. full speed John was always proud of this song consistently listing it besides Help, Strawberry Fields Forever and I Am The Walrus as his best Beatles era work Few could argue. Try to see it my way. Do I have to keep on talking till I can go on? While you see it your way, run a risk of knowing that our love may soon be gone. We can work it out. We can work it out. Think of what you're saying You can get it wrong And still you think that it's alright Think of what I'm saying An incomplete home demo of We Can Work It Out recorded by Paul and given to John on a tape reel for reference purposes. 
Unfortunately for collectors, John later reused the very same tape to record some goonish comedy sketches in his own home studio, thus erasing most of Paul's demo work for several songs. Regardless, Paul's upbeat song about recovering from an argument with Jane Asher was later completed with a distinctively pessimistic minor key bridge from John and was the subject of a Studio 2 session on the 20th of October and completed on the 29th. We can work it out. Was Paul wrote that chorus, you know, I wrote the middle bit of that. Life is very short and there's no time for fussing and fighting. All that bit. We can work it out. Take one.
There's a chance that we might fall apart before too long We can work it out, we can work it out Life is very short and there's no time For fussing and fighting, my friend Only two takes were needed to perfect We Can Work It Out, with considerable time spent adding John's harmonium overdub. With this, the new Beatles single of Day Tripper and We Can Work It Out was complete. The 21st of October saw the Beatles return to a song which had only made it as far as one take in the very first session for Rubber Soul. Take two of Norwegian Wood, sonically much closer to the release take, which wasn't far away. 
after some deliberation, take four was deemed best and treated to overdubs of more sitar, percussion and hands slapping on thighs. I, I enjoyed the ones which were inventive, which were new. You know, like, I enjoyed Norwegian wood because I felt where it was coming from. Take four. Cheers, man. Pressures of touring and public appearances took their toll on John Lennon and Paul McCartney from time to time. Hectic schedules effectively squeezed writing and recording into opportune moments in the lead-up to deadlines. But the songwriting process is an unpredictable one, and sometimes frustration leads to inspiration. John explains. I consider being possessed when the really creative music comes, meaning I don't sit down and say, I'm going to write a song about this, that or the other like one would do a lot of the time when one has to produce so many records or so many songs a year, that one could afford to wait for a nowhere man or songs that had come to me in the past, music and words, as if I'm a, a medium. But when I'm creating, the creating is the joy, the, the song coming in. Oh my God, you know, what's this doing? You know, it's writing itself. It's like I'm watching somebody else doing it. Yeah, I use Nowhere Man as an example because simply because I remember I struggled all morning, about six hours to write a song that the day I wrote Nowhere Man in 1964 or sometime. And I finally gave up. We've all experienced this on different levels. 
I lay down on the couch, I was really depressed, I can't write a song. And as I lay down exhausted like that, because I'd ex I was no longer centered on this, I have to write a song, I just lay down. <laughs> you know, I picked up the guitar and the whole damn thing was there. He's a real nowhere man, sitting in his nowhere land, making all his nowhere plans for nobody. Doesn't have a point of view, knows not where he's going to. Isn't he a bit like you and me? Nowhere man, please listen You don't know what you're missing Nowhere man, the world is at your command Isolation mix from the completed master take four of Nowhere Man, a classic view of how Lennon saw himself at that moment. Two takes from the 21st of October had been shelved, and a remake begun the following day. Take four featured a dual guitar solo played simultaneously by George and John on matching 1961 Fender Stratocasters, and while the lack of boy-girl lyrics was a marked departure from all other Beatles releases to date, the distinctive three-part harmonies showed that the Fab Four could still pin a melody together. I'm looking through you, take one. I thought 
Apart from adding overdubs and mixing tracks already in the can, take one of I'm Looking Through You, recorded on the 24th, was the last song to be attempted in October 1965. Written about Jane Asher, who had recently moved to Bristol to pursue her acting career, Paul bitterly tells her that she has changed to the point that he will need to find someone else instead. Paul later acknowledged his selfishness towards Jane, but said that the song did help him at the time to clear some emotional baggage. The recording would be dramatically improved upon in just a couple of weeks' time. Well, that's it for this episode. Next time we head into November 1965 and pull up a chair in Studio 2 at Abbey Road to listen in as the Beatles finish writing and recording Rubber Soul. Until next time, 